Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. In our Growing Deep series, uh, we've been focused on this idea of spiritual maturity, and we're picking up that idea again today. And uh, this definition of maturity, Christian maturity, that we've been looking at is that maturity in Christ is revealed when I face pressure, hardship, accusation, or persecution, and the outgrowth of my life is still the fruit of the Spirit. And so that's kind of our working definition or idea of what maturity is. Uh, from Galatians 5, and 23, we see what the scriptures say are the fruit of the Spirit. What it, what it is, the outgrowth of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so as we talk about deepening in our life with Jesus, we want to live this life that resembles Jesus's life. That's what discipleship is, that we, we don't just have this, our own idea of what Christian, Christianity or being a Christian is. We follow Jesus's example. So we're his disciples, we're his followers. And so this discipleship process uh, we, we don't get it by immersive study alone. Study is good, but you don't become a disciple just through immersive study. Uh, we don't get it through attending events or conferences or even Sunday services. That doesn't make us a disciple. Again, those things can contribute to our discipleship path, but attending things doesn't shape us or cause us to become a disciple. Uh, we don't get it by discipleship, we don't get it by listening to Christian radio or watching Christian TV. Again, resources that can support our discipleship process, but that's not how you become a disciple uh, is by just watching or listening to, to those things. We become mature by developing a rich personal relationship with God, by spending time with God in the scriptures, in prayer, in silence and solitude, spending time with others who are following Jesus. And so we develop this rich personal life. And then out of that internal transformation, the outward focus of our life is reshaped more to the image of who Jesus Christ is. And so this is really the transformed life that we're talking about. It's an inward working that then shows itself from the outside. Far too often people, when they think about Christianity, they think of rules of do's and don'ts and behaviors, external behaviors, that we can form our external behaviors and then somehow we're identified as being Christians because we do certain things. Doing is part of discipleship, but all of it begins with an internal work. It begins with life with Jesus Christ, life in knowing him, and then out of that life, it's transforming, uh, transforming to our outward life. And so it's really important that we understand that and we think through it in that context, because otherwise what we have is we have conformity and not transformation. We have conformity to rules or beliefs. Again, this is a very religion-focused view. It's, it's the, the pattern that you see in religions worldwide is conformity to a rule or to a, a style of life without that transformation really happening in the heart or in the head. 
And that's not what Jesus came for. It's not what he taught. It's not what he presented to his disciples. He presented an inward transformation that then resulted in an outward lifestyle that resembled his own life. So this whole process of discipleship, it always begins with God. So we tend, again, human nature is to think that things originate with us. We start this process. Uh, oftentimes you'll hear people say, well, I'm on a journey towards seeking God or to knowing God. And it's good to be one who wants to discover new things or, or wants to understand things about God. But the thing that we understand as followers of Christ is that things originate with God. And so the scriptures teach us that it's his Holy Spirit who leads us to himself. That God isn't revealed by our own understanding and our pursuit of him, but it's by our desire to know him and he reveals himself and we're drawing towards him. God is the initiator, we're the responder in that. And so there's this partnership that happens. It begins with God by him giving us a new spirit. So our part in that is a decision. We make a decision for Jesus Christ, we choose to follow. But when we make that decision, it's God putting his spirit within us. So that's why it says that as followers of Jesus Christ, we no longer have the old spirit or the old man within us. We have a new spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus said that I'll go to the Father. And when I go to the Father, meaning he'll ascend into heaven after his resurrection, that he would send another, the Holy Spirit, who would be with us and be in us. And so that's the Christian belief, that we are not just doing this on our own. No, there's, there's no way we would be able to live the Christian life on our own, that we are empowered, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's God's part. You and I can't do that. We're simply receptors. We're open to receiving his Holy Spirit. We're receptive to what he wants to do in us. And so our part is, yes, Lord, that's what I want. We have a decision. We have a willingness or an openness to receive his Holy Spirit. And then the next part of the partnership is that we are transformed or renewed in our thinking, in our, in our minds. And so that's part of our action. We partner with God after being filled with the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit. We take steps towards God by the renewing of our mind. We have to be transformed in our thinking about how life works. Who is God? Who are we? Our identity. A lot of that comes out of our understanding of who we are and our, our mindset. Another thing that we do is we take a step towards our actions or maybe uh, another way of, of looking at this or our, our behaviors. And, and so we do have a part. Our behaviors are transformed when we are shaped more into the image of Jesus Christ. The, the whole idea is that because of the Holy Spirit within me, because my mindset has changed, then the outward expression of my life looks more like Jesus. And, and so I can honestly say that if I'm a follower of Jesus, that people should hear different things from my thinking because it comes out through my speech, and it should also reflect in my actions because I'm living differently because of God's spirit within me. This is, this is really kind of discipleship in a nutshell, that we are transformed by the Holy Spirit in us. We're renewed by our thinking as we're submitting to the Holy Spirit's work within us. And then our behaviors or our actions are reshaped or reparented by the work of the Holy Spirit and by our thinking being renewed. So we look differently, we act differently. If I'm a follower of Jesus, the way I think and the way I act should be transformed on a regular basis, progressively moving more towards the image of Christ. So the idea behind this is that there is new spirit, 
a renewed mind and also new behaviors. And this brings about new life. And so this is the experience of the disciple. This is an experience of those who follow Jesus Christ. This is what it looks like. But there's an encouragement here too, that this doesn't just happen from following Jesus in our own strength. The Holy Spirit continues his work within us. So as you think about, well, I'm not seeing the changes that I want to see in my life. My, my thinking, I'm, I'm having trouble getting over some thinking in my life of, of old ways of dealing with life. Or maybe it's behaviors. I've got old patterns, habits that I'm not breaking off. I want to encourage you, this doesn't just come out of your own strength. The Holy Spirit stays actively at work within you to help you along in this. The, the best illustration I can give, uh, maybe not the best, but the one that came to mind is, is if you've ever worked out in a gym, you've been on maybe a bench press, and uh, you're, you're sitting down and you've got the bar that's coming down and maybe you're doing multiple reps of weights and you're pushing up on that bar each time. And as you go through these multiple reps, as you get towards the end, towards those last three, the last two, or maybe that even just that last one, if you've really been working hard, it becomes very difficult to get that bar up. Well, one thing you're supposed to do, especially if you're lifting with free weights, is you're supposed to have somebody who's a spotter and they stand just over the top of your head, right behind you. And then as you're having uh, difficulty, if you're having a struggle getting the weight up and you ask for help, they can help you. They just put their hand down or both hands and they help you bring that bar up and set it back up on the weight rack. And, and so that spotter is there as you do your work, but if you get at a point where you're stuck and it puts you, yourself in jeopardy or you're gonna be pinned beneath that weight, what the spotter does is he or she just lifts that up and helps you get it up to the point where, again, it's set back on the rack. That, that idea, that picture came to mind when I thought about the work of the Holy Spirit. There are places in our lives, in our discipleship journey, that sometimes we get stuck, we're just straining, we're struggling with a, a thought life or we're struggling with our behaviors. And I, I wanna give you this encouragement up front that you are not stuck there alone. In fact, you're not stuck. You're, you're at a point where the Holy Spirit is ready and willing and able to jump in and help you to be that spotter to get it past that point. And it's our job, our role is to call out to him, to lean into the Holy Spirit, knowing that he is there to help us overcome that. And so take heart in that, that you're not alone in your discipleship journey. Well, the scripture focus for uh, this message is going back to 1 Peter chapter two. So we're going to get there in just a moment, but let me uh, first uh, open in a word of prayer uh, before we go to the scriptures. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for your word that transforms us. And we believe that it is active and it is powerful to do so. And uh, our response in that is to be open. Uh, this truly is, this discipleship journey is a partnership with you. We don't do it, it's initiated by you, but we have a part in it that we have to continue on, that we press on in this walk with you, knowing that your Holy Spirit is at work within us. And so it is as we look at the Bible this morning, uh, as we open up th these, these scriptures that we want understanding that is beyond us. Oftentimes, Lord, it, it doesn't uh, quickly connect with our own understanding. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will illuminate, 
these passages that you will help bring understanding where we're confused. And then also you will take it the next step and help apply it to our lives individually. Each of us who are watching this, we have different circumstances, uh, different situations that we, we are living our lives out in. And so we need your help to understand how to best apply the scriptures today. And we thank you for your promise that you will do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, the previous message, I looked at verses 1, 2, and 3. And so in this message, we're looking at 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. And uh, I'm reading for the, from the English Standard Version. It says, as you come to him, speaking of Jesus, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Peter is writing this letter to predominantly non-Jewish followers. And so this question comes up, where does this idea of priesthood fall into? Why, why does he bring up priesthood as it relates to non-Gentile believers? Why is it that they need to understand this concept that they are a priesthood? If we reach back to Exodus chapter 19, we see where Peter is getting this idea from. In fact, it's, it's really, that's the origination point. And so Peter is introducing this idea to Gentile followers, something that God introduced to the Israelites back in Exodus chapter 19. So this is not really Peter's idea. It's not a, a man-made idea or thought. It originated with God himself. So we'll get back to that passage in, in Exodus in just a moment, but you need some context for it. Uh, think about the Israelites. They had been in Egypt for 400 years. They had been enslaved there, uh, began under good terms. Joseph bringing them, calling them up, and they were uh, shown favor as Joseph was there. But it says that there came a time when uh, they, they did not recognize the things of the past, the... the um, Egyptians didn't, and, and so they enslaved the Israelites. And so this 400-year period of slavery in Egypt, this had become the life for the Israelites. They escaped, uh, where we're picking up the passage in Exodus 19, they had escaped Pharaoh's army that had pursued them out of Egypt. Now their deliverance had come. They had traveled through the sea and Pharaoh's army had been swallowed up in the waters. And so they're making their way towards this promise of God. Again, just being delivered out of slavery. 
Now they're a, a people, a whole nation traveling across the desert. And God has them pause for a moment at the base of Mount Sinai because he wants to introduce them to himself. He wants them to understand what their identity is. And he wants to introduce how it is that they're supposed to interact with one another. And so God is settling them down for a moment here in front of Mount Sinai to begin to disciple his people, the Israelites, into who he is calling them to be. So this comes to Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out from the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from the Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain where Moses went up to God. The Lord called him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. This is really, I mean, this is an incredible passage. This is an amazing thing that God is doing for his people right at this moment. Here's a whole nation that's just been delivered out of captivity, out of slavery. Uh, they have this promise of a new place that God is going to lead them to. But before they enter into a new place, God resets their mindset, their understanding of who it is that they are. He resets their identity and also who they're supposed to be in terms of what they're supposed to do. So it's not just their mindset, but also their actions. In Egypt, Pharaoh was God. That was the position that they had, that Pharaoh himself was God. They learned that when the word God was spoken, it was associated to Pharaoh and it never meant anything good or pleasant. It meant a taskmaster. It meant somebody who they were enslaved to, who, somebody who had ownership over their life. And as a slave, they were so far beneath Pharaoh. They, they didn't even really exist. They were dirt. They were, they were nothing. Your life meant nothing. The only value that their life had to Pharaoh was what they could produce. He had no concern for them. He wasn't worried about their conditions. They were slaves. It was whatever they could produce is who they were to him. And so he had uh, no, no mindset, no thought given to uh, the Israelis, only that they were his slaves and that he was God before them. Now delivered from Egypt, they're no longer answering to Pharaoh. Now they answer to God, capital G, their God. And here's what God wants them to understand about who they are now that they're no longer slaves. Verses five and six, it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
Again, this is incredible. It's a whole nation of slaves up to this point, 400 years of slavery, and God is doing a reset to their whole mindset and to their activity. A people who have been beaten down, who have been told they're nothing, who have been told their only value is the work that they produce, that they're completely worthless. It only was how fast can you make bricks and how fast can you serve the Egyptians around you? That was their only spot in life, their only value. And now God is telling them, you are a treasured people. You are unique and treasured to me. And I am calling you to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation to me is how God approached them. Can you, I, I don't think you and I can imagine. I, I know I can't. I'm having difficulty wrapping my mind around that idea of 90 days removed from this deliverance point. It says three phases of the new moon and here they are at the base of Sinai. And God is telling them you're no longer identified as slaves, as nothing, as just workers. You are identified as a treasured people, as people who have a new identity, as priests before me, as a holy nation. It's interesting, isn't it, that God doesn't speak about their new identity to something that they would have referred back to as Pharaoh's. In fact, he doesn't say now, you were slaves before, but now you're rulers, right? <laughs> He doesn't say you were slaves and now you're going to be the masters. Why not masters? Why not rulers? Why not give them something that they can identify to? You were once so small and now you get to be on the top. You're going to be the greatest of all people. I think you and I get to capture a glimpse of God's heart here and what he had for his people, the Israelites, is for their whole identity, they had to rethink. They couldn't just take what they were and say, now we're going to be the better version of that instead of the slave, now we're the master. God had to reset their whole mindset about who he was, that he didn't want and he never created people to be slaves and masters, rulers and people who were nothing to the others. He had created people to know him and in relationship to himself. And so we see this in his identifying as the Israelites, not as masters, not as rulers, but as priests, as priests. It's a whole different identity than what we're accustomed to. We tend to think of, you're going to be the top of the food chain. You're going to be the ruler. You're going to be the very, uh, you're, you're going to be over others who are going to serve you or be beneath you. But God's reshaping of their identity didn't have to do with this sense of over people or enslaving people. It had to do with ministry to God and serving him and representing him to others. That's really at the heart or this uh, concept of being a priest. What does a priest do? A priest represents God before other people. That's the whole concept. A priest spends time with God and then goes out from that time of being spent with God and represents God to the people who want to know God more. And so that's really the whole role of a priest. And here is God at the base of Sinai telling the Israelites, I'm, I'm not looking for just a handful or a tribe or a small group of people to be priests. He's saying, I want your whole identity to be people who know me and then who represent me to the nations. 
This is the reset that God is calling Israel to in this passage of scripture. It's phenomenal. It's, it's such a different change of thinking from what they had experienced before and a change of thinking from any other nation that would have been on the earth at that point. In fact, it's a, a different mindset from what we have even today. Not rulers, not slaves, not managers and workers, but priests who minister and who represent God before the nations. It's a new identity about what their primary role is, no longer just workers, but representatives uh, of God to the nations. So let me take a moment. Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter's speaking to followers of Jesus, and he says, you are to be, he's speaking to these Gentile believers, remember they, they were non-Jews, not familiar with all of this, maybe slight familiarity, but it wasn't their upbringing. And he says, you are to be a kingdom of priests. Again, why priests? Why does Peter bring the same wording out of Exodus 19 and bring it into his letter to this early church, these early followers of Jesus? I think we can connect the dots here pretty easily in that Peter's understanding that far too often we have all been enslaved to something or someone in our lifetime. Peter, with these Christians, he is doing a reset in their understanding of who they are, a different mindset of who they're called to be, that they too, like God had called Israel in Exodus 19, they too were being called to be priests, a kingdom of priests before God not in an earthly temple, not as Israel was to the nations around them and focused on an earthly temple, but uniquely through Jesus Christ, they are called now with the Holy Spirit within them to be an example of God's calling, God's special people to the world around them. Again, a lot of us have been enslaved to think that nothing that we do really matters, what we have. Uh, it's just the product of however much we can do. In fact, it's oftentimes how we introduce ourselves and we want to find out. I mean, there's nothing wrong about asking somebody, so what do you do? We ask a name and so what's your job? What do you do? It's just our common way of introducing and getting to know one another is by our tasks, our titles, the things that we do. But again, here's Peter making the emphasis you are not the sum of your tasks. You are not a slave to the things that you do. Your identity and who you are as a person in Christ is identified that you are a priest. You are identified not by your own tasks, but by your understanding of who God is and your relationship to him, and then how you represent that to the world around you. I would encourage you, with that understanding as we wrap up with this message. That as a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to understand what your primary role is. You, you can be a worker, you can have a profession, you can be excellent in a field. Absolutely, you should give your very best to your work and, and accomplish that, but, but that's not your identity. <laughs> Listen, my my identity or my role as a pastor is one that I love very much. But you know, my primary role isn't as a pastor of New Horizons Church. My primary role is a priest before God, to know him and then represent him 
to the world around me. Some of you may say, yeah, I can make that connection. You're a pastor, that's what you should do. I wanna tell you, you and I have the same calling, the same primary role. Like me, you are a priest before God as a follower of Jesus Christ. You are a priest before God to know him and represent him to the world around you. Two things for your reflection before we close. One, is there a master that you've become enslaved to? Is there a taskmaster? Is there a, a habit? Is there something that you've become enslaved to? Because I want you to know that Jesus Christ wants to set you free. Just as God set the Israelites free out of Egypt, so Jesus Christ came not to set you free out of an earthly master, but of a spiritual master who seeks to enslave you, enslave your mind, enslave your spirit, enslave your life and your eternity. Jesus Christ has come to set you free. And so if you're finding yourself stuck and finding yourself burdened down by a taskmaster who identifies you not as loved but views you as just the product of whatever you can produce, I wanna encourage you, Jesus Christ, simply by surrendering your life, bringing those things that you feel enslaved to before him, he can set you free today. And I wanna encourage you to do that. And if we can pray with you, there's information at the end of this message that will let you know uh, how you can reach out to us with a prayer request. And we'd love to pray with you to see you overcome that area where you might feel enslaved to. But again, you're not a slave in God's eyes. He wants to set you free in Christ because he loves you and he has chosen you and you are precious in his eyes. The second thing is, uh, what do your behaviors tell you who you belong to? So again, what we do often says what we are to be focused on, what our value is. And so if you're a Christian, I wanna just encourage you with this, you are a priest. Everyone is called, as a follower of Jesus, everyone who's called to him is called to be a priest, a kingdom of priests for him. This is kind of a tough question, but have you been representing someone else instead of Jesus? If you're a Christian, do people readily identify that? Or do they hear you just regurgitating the news of the day? Do they hear the same things that they could hear out on the street? Are they hearing Fox News come out of your mouth constantly? Are they hearing uh, the, the local newspaper events and, and shaded a certain way? Are they hearing things that they could find on social media just coming back out of your mouth? Or are you, am I, a prophetic voice to the world, an unveiling of the life of Jesus to the world around us? Because I want to encourage you, that's who we're called to be. We're called to bring, to speak about, just as Jesus did, speak about the kingdom of God to the world around us. They can get those other messages all over the place, trust me. <laughs> They're everywhere. The news is blurting them out, social media is blurting them out, other people on the streets are carrying the same messages. You and I, if we're truly living up to that calling of being a kingdom of priests, we should have a unique sound to the culture around us of bringing the kingdom of God, the voice of what the kingdom of God is like and the hope that's found in Jesus Christ to the world around us. I wanna pray over you, I wanna pray over us uh, as I close out this because what I've just talked about is a tall task. But you know what, you and I, we're not in it alone. The Holy Spirit is with us and we can do it by his grace and his mercy. Let's pray. Father God, again, we just lean into you. We lean into your Holy Spirit that you have given to us. And we ask you to empower us for this, what you've called us to be, to be a kingdom of priests, 
to spend time with you and then represent you to the world around us. God, I pray that you would imprint upon us as followers of Jesus the urgency of understanding that and then living that out. That that is a first and primary calling that each of us is called to live out. And so Lord, help us. We know we can't do it in our own strength and in our own wisdom, but you can help us and you want to help us. You can empower us and you want to empower us for that very purpose. Like Israel, help us to see that we are no longer slaves, that we are no longer under a taskmaster, but we've been set free by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, by the power of his overcoming death, sin, and, and sickness on the cross, because of his resurrection, that we too can live resurrected lives. And so now help us to live as that kingdom of priests, to represent you to the world around us. Thank you for calling us to that task. Thank you for believing in your work in us enough to call us to that task, to not ask us to be rulers or to be masters, but enabling us to be servants before you and to represent you to the world around us. Father, I ask your blessing upon each one who's listening and watching this. May your favor rest upon them and your kindness and mercy extend to them and through them to those whom they come in contact with each day. And we ask it by the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, amen. The Lord bless you and thank you for taking time to, to watch today's message and look forward to uh, next week when we continue to extend on this idea of being a kingdom of priests. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.